Hey everyone, this is the truth of the matter is. This is Jonathan speaking here. I actually will be the only voice that you will hear today. Unfortunately, Daniel is out this week. This is episode 61, and we're hoping to get him next week back. Speaking on behalf of Daniel and myself, we appreciate everyone for listening when they can. We thank you and hope that you continue to press play at your own convenience. Now, before we get into our text for today in the discussion, I find it helpful and important that we should start off with prayer. Oh God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for another day to be alive. We honor you. We praise you, not for what you're doing, but for who you are. As we go to your word today, I pray that all eyes are open to pick up the insight that will be laid before us today. Bless the ears of our listeners to be able to perceive what was said. Bless our hearts who are open to receiving truth and considering it. Bless all minds that are processing how to put this wisdom into practice. We ask for these things today with sincerity and through faith so that we may say these things and do these things with the right attitude. So we say these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this is Solo Drayton that you're getting now. So it's been quite some time. Last time I was by myself was a special I did for Father's Day. It's just like in the beginning stages when we first started the podcast. Now I hope everyone is doing well and managing. Now I would like to extend myself out a little bit if anyone is in need for prayer or wants to pray for a friend you know a family member or someone who really needs prayer or that you really care about please don't hesitate to reach out to me by email now that email will be speeded83 at gmail.com let me break that down for you s as in sam p as in peter e as in elephant e as in Elaboration, D as in David, E as in elevator, D as in Daniel, 83 at gmail.com. Okay, that's my email. Now in the email, please tell me what would you like me to pray for? And I will pray for you or the person that you have mentioned to the best of my ability. If you wish to have a conversation with me, you're also entitled to that as well. Just reach out to me by email and I would do what I can on my end. Okay. Now, I want you to understand that I am a brother in Christ and I want to see the body of Christ flourish and grow in relationship with one another. Remember, we can't grow in isolation. We have to grow in community with one another. It's very important because it's foundational. It's essential. We have to have one another's back. And one of the ways we can do that. It's by trying to grow the community, not within the church, but outside of the church so that we can hold one another accountable and be there and help encourage one another. One of my favorite scriptures in Romans is let us be encouraged by one another's faith. So I want to encourage and motivate and speak to those who have a willingness to want to reach out and share what it is that they would like me to pray with them or for now before we take a look at the text for today i want to share the title of the podcast and i would like to lay the foundation for how i was inspired by the text this week and i thought it would be best to share what it is so the truth of the matter is that is this the scripture has always inspired me the scripture is what leads me to title each and every podcast episode I don't look for scriptures to validate a topic I had in mind. Instead, I always allow the scripture to speak to situations that come off as very familiar to me. And also what is going on and transpiring and unfolding in a society. Okay, so episode 61 title is it's not so obvious. That's what I titled it. It's not so obvious. What's not so obvious is how to live the Christian difference as a new convert. And even as an experienced one, how do you assimilate yourselves in the society? How should one maneuver 
themselves and the society. The problem is the environment. The environment sometimes can influence you to do things you might not want to do and impact you. But the question is, as a believer, as a light, okay, you have to ask yourself, how do you impact the environment? That becomes the question. And it's also the challenge. For some, not all, which means if this isn't you, don't take it to heart. Please just hear me out. When you become a believer, one of the things that happens is you want to convert the world. You point the finger at who is living righteously versus who isn't. There's this burning desire to correct people and what they're doing. For some reason, their awareness of self doesn't always seem to be the focus. Instead, it's on everyone else besides you. Now, I have to be brutally honest here. It would be disingenuous if I don't address Christians who have this habit of sending people to hell. Right. Based upon a chosen lifestyle that someone else chooses to live. And of course, your argument is it's not biblical. Right. But come on, guys. Everyone that is a follower of Christ has a past and has done things they're not proud of. In fact, there are some of us that are still part of the body and we're struggling. Right. And who's to say that those who are struggling and living those lifestyles can't be redeemed, right? Jesus can do anything, okay? The threat of someone's doom seems to be what's highly discussed. And unfortunately, these type of conversations as a new convert or as an experienced Christian isn't productive, but rather premature and unnecessary, Here's something that I thought was obvious, but after further evaluation and discussion, it isn't so obvious. Okay, I want to repeat that last statement that I made. These types of conversations, the ones about who's going to hell, right? Isn't productive, but are rather premature and unnecessary. Okay, our job, our purpose as followers of Christ is not to police the society. Instead, we must be the alternative to the society. I'm going to repeat that one more time. Our job, our purpose as followers of Christ is not to police the society. Instead, we must be the alternative to the society. In other words, live the Christian difference. Now, let's go to scripture for the support of the statement that I just made. Right. That's what we're going to be doing all day today. So if you. Or following along and you're looking to learn something, take your notepad out. Or you might want to listen to this a second and third time, okay? We're going to go to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And we're going to look at this in the ESV, English Standard Version. You are the salt of the earth, but the salt has lost its taste. How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. Hear that? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father. Who is in heaven. Amen. I'm not going to unpack this verse to the depth that it needs because it must be reserved for the gospel of Luke, the gospel of Matthew series. Right now we're in the gospel of Luke series, but this is reserved and should be broken down in its entirely in the gospel of Matthew series, which is coming up after we're finished with the gospel of Luke series. Here is what I will say, though. If I had to sum it up quickly without giving too much, it was Jesus who said in the Gospel of John, that's something we also will go to, chapter 17, verse 15, that I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them and protect them from the evil one. Now, this will further provide the necessity of the believer in a world that has no hope, unless the believer remains in it to show a Christ-like example by letting their light, yes, you are a light, 
Shine in a world that is full of darkness. You will be providing salt, which is godly wisdom, godly direction, godly example. You're prudent. That's what you are. And what you'll be doing is you'll be providing this to those who may not know what that looks like. And I believe that's essential. It's in fact purposeful. You see, what an alternative approach does in a society that doesn't believe they need a savior or a Christ, which in the Greek means an anointing one, allows opportunity for people to choose without pressure or fear. Taking this approach will open the door to exercise two scriptures that embrace the same philosophy. So let's go to them right now, shall we? First Peter chapter 3, verse 15 through 16. We're going to look at this in the NLT, New Living Translation. If someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Key word in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 through 16 is if, which means they have to open a door so that you can share your wisdom to them. The question would be, do they have a willingness to listen and receive what you're saying? You can't answer that, unfortunately. That's clearly up to the listener, the one who hears your words. Okay, the one who hears your words is up to them. Let's check out the next text. As a matter of fact, let's let's dig dig it. Let, let's dig even deeper. Let's go to it. This same text, First Peter chapter three, verse fifteen through sixteen. Let's look at this in the Message Bible. Be ready to speak up and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way you are, and always with the utmost curiousness. With the utmost curiousness. Let's define. Curiousness. The showing of politeness in one's attitude, behavior towards others. Courteousness. Let's look at the second text of scripture that embraces the philosophy of being an alternative and not the main option for people who are living for the dominant opinion of the society, right? That would be Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12 in the NLT, back in the New Living Translation again. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. You see, when people see that you can manage on your own and be independent, that would allow the mutual respect to happen. And usually in those moments and situations, dialogues occur. In those moments, you will be given the chance to share your testimony. And if a person is curious enough, they very well might embrace what you're teaching them because they have a heart that wants to receive the insight and wisdom you are departing to them. The point is, as believers, it's obvious that we need to learn how to maneuver in this world, how to assimilate oneself within the culture and society without compromising your value system. Let's dig even deeper on one more text we got to check out that will make sense of our text for today. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 7 in the NIV. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carry into exile for Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into, ex into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Interesting text, Jeremiah 29, 4-7. The reason why I took you to this passage is because you heard it right. God instructed his people that were carried into exile to build and to start homes, to settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in numbers there. And he said explicitly not to decrease. Basically, God is saying set up shop and assimilate yourselves within this foreign community that you were exiled in. 
As a matter of fact, the scripture says, seek, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Very, very, excuse me, very interesting text. Now that I've set the stage for the text, let's go ahead and look at our text for today. To save us some time, you know, I'll be able to comment about some verses, something I'm not able to do because I have Daniel reading the verses without any interruptions. But because I'm solo here, I can teach at the same time as I read the verse so you can follow along and hear what I'm thinking. You know, I figured out I figured that would help out. Right. Provide you with the process that I'm going through. So we're going to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20. Verses 20 through 26. And we're going to look at this in the message Bible. Watching for a chance to get him. You know, that will be Jesus in the context. They sent spies who posed as honest inquirers, hoping to trick him, Jesus, into saying something that would get him in trouble with the law. So one of the things that wasn't advised is to get caught speaking out against Caesar publicly. Right. Unfortunately, that would get you killed, especially if more than one witness heard you and they can verify that back to the text. So they asked him, Jesus, teacher, we know that you're honest and straightforward when you teach. Now, what a way to soften you up and give you the impression that you're all that plus a bag of chips. Right. That's an old school saying. Just talk highly of someone to catch them slipping. Right. Make their head bigger. With flattering words, right? That's what the scripture, that's what I'm catching when I'm reading this. This is what the scripture says. You don't pander anyone, but teach the way of God accurately. To pander is to provide gratification for others' desires, which means that Jesus, unfortunately, was an honest person. He was about the truth, right? He was known as the truth. Remember, his own words when he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So, of course, he was going to be himself regardless of the consequence. Want to talk about a true revolutionary. There you go. Right there. Boom. This is what the scripture says. Tell us, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? He knew they were laying for him. So laying is a British phrase which means to make ready a trap for someone. Jesus basically saw through their trickery and their hypocrisy. So what does Jesus do as a result of discerning their intent? Right? I would imagine that he took a pause, took a deep breath, and he responded accordingly. This is what Jesus says. Show me a coin. Now this engraving, who does it look like and what does it say? Caesar, they said. Jesus said, then give Caesar what is his and give God what is his. Try as they might, they couldn't trap him into saying anything incriminating. His answer caught them off guard and left them speechless. Now, the reason why I had us take a look at several different passages before we took a look at our passages for today was to establish a few things. There's a process when it comes to living out your faith. The reason why the world is so important, right? The reason why the world is so important is to help you do things and say things that are kingdom of God inspired. You see, in this world, this is practice. Where we are going, we're going to have to utilize everything that we're practicing right now. We're going through a process of maturing and doing things in a way that is not just pleasing to God, but is kingdom mentality driven. Okay? The future decisions that you will have to make will require the use of wisdom, common sense, and survival sense. The future decisions that you will have to make will require the use of wisdom, common sense, and survival sense. As a follower of Christ, your character must be developed. Your values and ethics must reflect truth, and your attitude should be like Christ. Let's also throw in there that act of love must dwell within your hearts. And of course we get that by living and acting. In the ways of Christ. That was the example that was set for us. I titled the podcast. 
for this week is not so obvious because when you become a believer, it's not so obvious that the alternative of the society happens to be you. You are the alternative to the society. As you walk in this world, soon enough, you will realize that you are not the main course. Instead, you're like an appetizer, possibly a dessert, which means people may not want an appetizer and may not have room for dessert. Get what I'm putting down? Those are seen as optional. And anyone who decides to take part in these courses are either led or encouraged. Really get what I am saying here and think about it. I want you to ponder on that for a second. I'll repeat it again. I titled the podcast, It's Not So Obvious, because when you become a believer, it's not so obvious that you're the alternative to society. As you walk in this world, soon enough, you will realize that you are not the main course. Your belief system is not the main course. Yes, predominantly, we are a Christian nation, but I'm talking about living out the Christian difference moving and operating in a kingdom mentality. Not a lot of people do that. They rather take the title of Christian, but not implement those things and put them into practice. Okay. Instead, you are an appetizer, possibly a dessert, which means people may not want an appetizer. It may not have room. See that room for the dessert. Those are seen as optional. And anyone who decides to take part in those courses are either led or encourage, okay? In Jeremiah 29, verse 4 through 7, it's not so obvious that while you're in exile, it will behoove you to tap into survival sense. And finally, in Luke 20, 20 through 26, it's not so obvious that, hey, since you are technically under Roman government, how about using some common sense and paying your taxes? It's not so obvious to some. That when you become a believer, you still have responsibilities to pay your light bill, your water bill, your car note, your car insurance, your phone bill, grocery bill, and everything else that you have to do as an adult. A big topic of conversation in the last couple of weeks has been paying tithes and offerings. Common sense is if your rent is nine hundred and you only have nine hundred and twenty-five dollars, you don't you can't afford to pay tithes and offerings, right? The world we live in still has demands and requirements. You still have to operate the use of time management along with planning and understanding the reality of your situation. Here's a perfect example. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 28 through 35, NIV. And we're really getting into the scripture today for sure. This might be overwhelming, but I do apologize in advance, right? This may be a lot to some, but it's necessary. Now, listen closely to this. But if you who do not marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who have married will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if they were not, theirs to keep those who use things of the world as if it's not engrossed in them. For this world is in its present form, it's passing away. I would like to you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. How he can please the Lord. Get this part. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world and how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. Get this. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world. How she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way and undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, you might be asking, why did I bring this text up? The reason I brought this text up is because it's not obvious that when you get married, the Amplified Version puts it this way. You will have special challenges. Your interests will be divided. 
Nothing wrong with that. But as I said, time management and planning comes into play in how you plan to balance everything out. The happiness of your wife or husband or child is important. So an evaluation must occur and a plan of action must follow. I'm pointing this text out because I want you to understand that it may not be obvious, but this issue that you have to deal with, the unbeliever has to deal with as well. You don't escape that reality. It's still part of you going through life and maturing and growing, not just in your faith, but also in the process of making your own mark and people carrying your philosophy as the head or the woman as a, as your child embraces what it is that you teach them. Jesus provides us a model in Luke 20, verse 20 through 26. It's not so obvious to some believers, but as you walk with Jesus, you will start to model your life after him. And along with that walk comes wisdom and understanding on how you should operate. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What did he mean when he said, I am the life? I believe he meant that his life is the example. We shall follow in lockstep with it. Let's dig deeper. In the book of Proverbs chapter 8, we learn that Jesus is wisdom. And in him dwells that wisdom and prudence. We learn that he possesses knowledge and discretion. That he provides counsel and he uses sound judgment. That he has insight and of course power. If you want to know more about what Jesus has to offer, I encourage you to read Proverbs 8. The whole chapter. Very powerful chapter. If you've been following along through the Gospel of Luke series, you would have learned that all by now, that Jesus is the truth, man. And everything I just said, that's exactly who he is. And more, by the way. Now, obviously, times have changed. And depending where you reside will determine how you interpret what I'll say next. Okay, I'm going to repeat that again. As we move along, obviously, times have changed. And depending on where you reside will determine how you interpret what I'll say next. You see, we did an episode in the beginning stages called Faith is a Reason Trust, Episode 5. That will be 56 episodes ago. And we spoke about your commitment to God. And in your commitment to God, it falls under two categories. It's either a conviction or a preference. If you want to know about it, I encourage you to check it out. The point is this, though. When you choose to represent truth, what should become obvious is you will face rigorous opposition that is diametrically unopposed to your stance. Right? I'll repeat that again. What should become obvious is when you face those who don't agree with you, it's Rigorous opposition that is diametrically unopposed to your biblical stance, your Christ-like stance, your biblical stance, your Christ-like stance, your kingdom mentality. Everyone's not listening and doing the same thing. The question is, how will you handle it? In Luke 20, verses 20-26, Jesus did something that's very important. And if you pay attention, you'll realize this. What was required there was the use of wisdom, common sense. The point is, if you live under a government that demands that you pay the tax, you pay the tax. It has nothing to do with your faith. It is a governmental requirement in the society that you dwell in. And I'm pretty sure in Jeremiah, there are requirements there also that they had to align themselves with. They had to align themselves with it. Now, here's something interesting. Let's run through some scriptures that require a different response when faced with a different challenge when it comes to what you believe in and how it impacts your faith walk. First text is, we're going to look at the book of Acts, and we're going to look at chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 21. I'm doing a lot of reading today, so excuse me for any mistakes, further apologies. 
The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John and because it was even, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. What an impact. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all of the people of Israel is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected which has become the cornerstone salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved when they saw the courage of peter and john and realized that they were unschooled ordinary men they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with jesus but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them there was nothing they could say so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they have been performed a notable sign. And we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then he called to them and again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judge for us. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Now, I want to jump a little ahead. Same book, but let's go to chapter 5. Here's the significance of the story. Book of Acts, chapter 5, verses 17, 17 to 41. Another long passage. Bear with me. The high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sanhedrin, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. Again. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they have been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. They went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing at the door. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priest were at loss, wondering what this might lead to. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts, teaching the people. At that, the captain went into the officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Interesting. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin, the question by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teachings and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgiveness for their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. 
but a Pharisee named Gamian, a teacher of the law who honored by all the people, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered this, that men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed the Sanhedrin, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thaddeus appeared, claiming to be someone. And after 400 men rallied to him, he was killed. All his followers were dispersed and all came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of Cephas and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if the purpose of activity of this human origin will fail, but if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles and had them flogged. Then he ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they have been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Obviously, my favorite part is verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they have been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Now, something I believe Peter mentions in First and Second Peter is the same thing that's stated here. This idea of suffering for the name. Now, the reason why I brought this text up and it's important is because this is an example where you're living and operating in truth and therefore there were people that were questioning and trying to prevent you from doing that and therefore they had a willingness to accept punishment because they were full of joy and they were representing God in the right frame to the point that punishment didn't bother them but rather they rejoiced because all it did was bring God and not just his purpose for dying for all, but who Jesus was to the, to the storefront. And now many people witnessed that and understood that it was part of the impact and the movement and the importance of the growth of the faith at the time. Now we're going to look at two more texts and these two texts can be found in Daniel. Daniel. Chapter 6, verses 3 to 16, NIV. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the straps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the straps tried to find grounds for charge against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. Now, I will have to say this desire to get Daniel in trouble is actually very similar in how the religious leader, the Sanhedrin, right, leaders were trying to trap Jesus by sending those spies over, right? Very comparable. The reality is they could not find no corruption in him. Because he was trustworthy and neither corrupted nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and straps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, perfect straps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edit and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now your majesty issued a decree and put it in writing so it cannot be altered. And in accordance with the law of Mads and Persians, which cannot be repelled. So King Darius put the decree in writing. See at length what they go to do to prevent Daniel from praying to God? Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the window opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God. Just as he'd done before, then these men went as a group 
and found Daniel praying and asked God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during next 30 days and anyone who prays to any god or human being except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Persians, which cannot be repelled. Then they said to King Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard of this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the two, then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Persians, no decree or edit that the king issued can be changed. So the king gave the orders and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. So to those who are familiar with the story, you should know that Daniel was unharmed and that God protected him because of his obedience. Point of this text of me bringing it up is in this situation, they were trying to find something wrong of him and they couldn't. So they made up a law because they knew how devoted he was in his communication with God. Now, obviously, we don't pray three times a day, and some may surmise that that's where you get some of the Judaic practices and also the practices in Muslim culture, right? But this is the historical evidence that you find when you read in the text. But the point that I'm making to you is that because of your faith and consistent trust in God, you're now in jeopardy, and they're trying to prevent you from praying and this is what's happening to Daniel he's been prevented from praying and unfortunately his constant communication with God is much more important than some law that's been placed to try to prohibit him and therefore the prohibitiveness that they tried to implement against him did not prevail and more importantly God saw how faithful and reliant he was in him to communicate and have that personal time with him God saved him Okay, last text for today, Daniel, again, chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura, the, pres the province of Babylon. He then summoned the straps, perfects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, manstrays, and all the other provident officials to come. To the dedication of the image he has set up. So the straps, perfects, governors, advisors, treasurers, dredgers, ministers, and all the other province officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up and they stood before it. Then they heard loudly proclamations. Nations and people of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you heard the sound of the horns, flutes, zyder, lyre, harps, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, heart, and all kinds of music, all the natures of the people of every language fell down and worshipped the image of the gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever, your majesty, and has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the heart, flute, zither, heart, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shamrach, Mezekah, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your God nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Remember, they also didn't eat the food from their table either. Furious with rage. Now, also I want to mention, too, that some will look at that text and say 
that you shouldn't eat meat, but you should eat vegetables. Again, cultural influencement. Some will cherry pick that and then make a whole theology and approach to how they live their life, right? These are things you got to be mindful and careful when you're looking at the scripture and you sort of see where you get these outlandish ideas that people come up with, right? But I digress. Now, back to the point that I was making. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shamrock, Mezekah, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king of Nebuchadnezzar and said to them, Is it true, Shamrock, Mezekah, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lie, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blaze of furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shamrock, Mezekah, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blaze of furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But, here's the key word, but, even if he does not, we will not serve you. We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Favorite part of the scripture. Obviously, those who read the passage would know nothing happens to them. They were rescued. And this is sort of what leads to what changes Nebuchadnezzar's mind and how he is forced to eat the grass as an animal right but that's more further into the text something we will cover later on at some point now here's something i want to say these passages are what i would call convictions to your belief in the face of adversity there you have it right i've chosen some text that highlight the difference of responses when your faith is challenged and i've read them all for you the reality is some of us live in the United States of America, right? We are free to practice our beliefs freely. Other parts of the world don't have that experience. There are responses that they will be, that they will provide that will cause them to lose their life in the process. However, as a new convert, you have to understand that there are things that are compromisable, like paying your taxes and living out your faith while in exile versus someone telling you that you can't pray or bow down to another God. Remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. You are not loving and honoring God, okay, if Allah, Buddha, Objects like crystals are taking up some of the love that you're providing. Even talking to the dead. If you're giving just as much as attention to God than to all those things, then you're not honoring the two commandments that I just provided to you. Which is summed up by loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Right? We have to understand from the Old Testament that God is a jealous God. He's not sharing himself with anybody else. And Jesus already let you know that he is the only way, the only truth, and only life. The only way to heaven, to God, is except through him. Things you have to remember. So, point is that I'm making. Another thing, too, in the Gospels, Jesus said you can't serve both money and God. You have to pick one. Okay? That goes along with crystals, right? Objects. Of worship or idolatry okay now I hope after our conversation today we've learned that everything as believers isn't so obvious sometimes you have to work through these things and there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with asking questions right it's better to ask questions than assume but what I want us to understand is that the point that Jesus makes in Luke 20 verses 20 through 26 is that, yes, everything in the earth belongs to the Lord and thereof. However, common sense 
objective is that if you're under a government and there's requirements of it, pay it. And that's exactly what Jesus told them. Operate within the community, play it. You actually have to pay it, but that has nothing to do with your commitment to God and your prayer to God and your devotion to God. Those things are in jeopardy. I can completely understand your fight back. But in this case, if I remember clearly, Roman allowed the Jews to practice their religious beliefs as long as they paid the taxes and operated under the confines of everything else that allowed the community to dwell and continue to go. Okay? Now, normally, I would say on this note, there's nothing that Daniel wants to add. He will do devotional. But unfortunately, I will have to do devotional as well. So I know there are some things that are not so obvious. One thing I know for certain that is obvious is flourishing. Huh, what a transition. Flourishing. So we're going to go to the book of Psalms. Chapter 92, verse 12. We'll look at this in the NIV and it says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. In Psalms 92, 12, and I'm going to read verses to 15. The palm tree is a symbol of spiritual life Christ made possible for his followers. Like the palm tree, you can grow and live in a fruitful life. Jesus made it possible for you to flourish and live a joyful, filled, meaningful life. He made it possible for you to sink your roots deep in the spiritual soil of his presence. You're planted in the house of the Lord. He made it possible for you to have a fruitful, productive life for as long as you live. He made it possible to stay spiritually healthy, to stay green and growing. He gave you the reason to shout with joy and proclaim his righteousness, power, and glory. But remember that you will only flourish in the courts of God. Psalms 92 13 NIV, you must draw your life and strength from a deep and nourishing relationship with him. Get that relationship. An uprooted plant doesn't produce fruit. Amen. Are you rooted and built up in Jesus? Do you grow up into him in all things? Ephesians 4, 15. Here's the prayer that I will say as we end things. Jesus, help me to sink my roots down deep into your truth of who you are and your power to save me. May I become strong, fruitful in you. Lord, we say these things in Jesus' name as I close out. And I pray. Amen. <laughs>